So, you know, I forgot where we left off. We're, you know, we're going through the book of Acts, and I, I wasn't quite sure that I finished chapter 18. So just by way of review, I want to look at a few of the verses that close out chapter 18 in a second. Let's, um, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for um, the opportunity uh, Lord, that we have to just come into your presence and um, hear your word, uh, to just come before you, uh, worshiping, Lord, and exalting you, uh, God, knowing that um, you alone are worthy of our praise and worship, our dedication and commitment of our lives to you. And, and Lord, that's the only cause we want to be totally sold out for, is for the gospel, for those things you've called us to do, Lord. We are so um, elated, God, that you have called us out and chosen us to, uh, to represent you and um, being uh, your ambassadors uh, on this planet, Lord. And we're so thankful for that. And pray, God, that you'd be an active part of tonight as we look at your word. And we just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I want to, um, I want to recap a little bit. One thing I, I do want to say, I want to make a couple statements that hopefully ring true uh, for you guys. Uh, but one of them is consistent, consistently obeying God leads to a strong life. And these are things that we're going to see uh, in Paul's life and in the disciples' lives as we go through this. And, you know, Jesus is the source of a strong life. All right? guys agree with that? Jesus Christ is the source of a strong life. As, we, as, as we've been going through the book of Acts, it's amazing to see that God has never, and this since chapter 13, since really Paul has kind of gotten in the limelight, God's never let him down. And, you know, Paul has been in some pretty weird uh, situations, right? Stoned when they thought he was dead, you know, just kicked out of town, kicked out of the synagogue, you know, Paul has, um, has been through a lot, but yet God has remained faithful. And, you know, I know we all go through a lot in life, but God is faithful. God is faithful. And as we go through the book of Acts, I've been pointing this out, and I want to continue to point it out. There's not a lot of difference between, well, let me rephrase that. Every, all the tools that they had in the first century, we have today. We have the Word of God. In fact, we have the complete Word of God. I mean, they were, um, you know, think about this. We talked about this Tuesday morning in the senior study. Um, when um, James delivered, when his letter was delivered to the, to the Jews that were dispersed, it was a letter. You know, it, was, it was a letter. And they took that letter, and they read it, and they passed it around, and they read it again, and they talked about it, and they started to, you know, to make that application. They saw the importance of it. I mean, we have the whole Bible. So, we, you know, we really have everything that we need to accomplish um, the mission that God has put us on, to be a light, to be a witness for him on this planet to point people to him. I mean, we have everything that we need. And I was real. I like that song that Chris played about, you know, the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit song is really um, a cool song. And, you know, just, we, I mean, that's our prayer. Lord, just fill us to overflowing and use us. So let's, I want to just recap from Acts 13 to where we're at today and getting into Acts 19. And things I want you to notice is that as we recap this and we see what's going on, that God is leading, right? That God is putting people in places that he is an act, he's, he's active in the church, then and now. And God is still doing that. God is still putting people in places. God is leading people to certain places for certain reasons, and you know what's really cool, and we're going to see this as we go through, we, um, we don't even know what, what he's doing sometimes. You know, we're, we go places and we say things, run into people, do things, 
And, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of kick back and you say, wow, the Lord was, you know, that was like, that was a divine appointment. I mean, this whole thing that just happened earlier, and that was the Lord set that up. And doesn't, I mean, you guys all experience that, right? You, something goes on and you're at, at the end of the day, you're kind of wondering, even sometimes before that, like, Lord, you really set that up. I'm so thankful you gave me that opportunity. We're going to see that as we go through this. So the first missionary journey, Paul, is um, his first time out. That's Acts 13, 4 through 14, 28. Uh, the book of James is written at that time, around 47 A.D., Paul writes Galatians from Antioch. Second missionary journey is Acts 15.39 to Acts 18.22. And we left off in verse, I think, 18.23. But Paul establishes a church in Corinth. He writes 1 Thessalonians from Corinth. Now, Paul stays in Corinth for 18 months and writes 2 Thessalonians as a response to 1 Thessalonians. And all of this happens up till around 51 A.D. So here's what I want to point out before we get into to, um, chapter 19. And uh, the reason why I think this is important is because as we look at these events unfolding, like I said, we see God moving people around. So think about it. Paul and at the end of chapter 18, Paul leaves Corinth, right? Remember, he wants to get back to Jerusalem for the Passover. So he, he leaves Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla. And he makes a pit stop in Ephesus. So he gets to Ephesus, but he's still he's kind of on a time schedule. So he goes to the synagogue, interacts with folks there, he leaves to go back to, to make it to Caesarea and then to Jerusalem and then back up to Antioch. But he leaves Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. So this is the start of Paul's third missionary journey. Now there's not, and it's a, when he leaves Antioch, he's, he's coming back now backwards to the places he, he's already been. So he's on his way there to Ephesus via these cities. Aquila and Priscilla are at Ephesus now, right? And another character in this whole thing shows up. His name's Apollos. So now we have Paul on his way to Ephesus. We have Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos at Ephesus. Pretty interesting turn of events. You know, why does Paul leave Aquila and Priscilla there on his way? You know, I mean, now, now think about this. A, a year or so, is, a year at least is, is elapsed. Because Paul, when he dropped these guys off at Aquila and Priscilla off at Ephesus, he went back to Jerusalem and then back up to Antioch to his home church and hung out there. And, there, you know, the, the time span isn't really nailed down to a specific time, but they say roughly a year or so. So think about this is all happening. Paul has no idea what's going on in Ephesus, but he told them when he left Ephesus in chapter 18 that if it was God's will, he would come back. Well, apparently, we're going to see that it was God's will because Paul's going to end up back in Ephesus, and he's going to have a really powerful ministry there. But are you, guys, um, are you guys catching my drift here a little bit? Are you getting what I'm saying? Why, you know, God, is, God has set the scene. God has set the scene in what we're going to look at, and he's been doing it all along, and he's been doing it since Genesis 1-1, right? And even before that. You know, God is, um, God is definitely um, a planner, a very good planner. I mean, God lays things out because uh, he's God, right? Everything he does is perfect. I mean, it's flawless. That's the God we serve. And for me, I see when I look at these folks in, in this account, I'm looking at people that are just simply trusting God. And, you know, we're here at Ephesus. Well, then let's get the word out. Let's, let's minister. Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers. I'm sure they, got, they went to work. So... 
I hope you guys see that. I hope you guys see that, not only in this tonight, but as you read through the word and as you live out tomorrow, Lord willing, we get it, all right, that you see that, that you see God's hand in it, how God has set the day up for you. And we should pray that, you know, we pray it every day. God, um, just allow us to see what you're doing. Help us to be sensitive to what you're doing, because he's doing something, right? And you see, he's called us. We're, we're, everybody's saved in this room. So God is, we're ambassadors for him. He's called us to do something. And, uh, you know, he's going to direct us, and he's going to guide us into that. So as we get into this, keep that in mind. In the background, God is, is working all of this out. And really, some cool things are going to happen. So Apollos, I don't... I, you see, the thing is, my memory is bad. I don't remember how much we talked about him last time, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him, all right? He was a Jew by birth. He came from Alexandria, the capital of, the northern, of northern Egypt. Um, it was a big, big, one of the, the second largest city in the Roman Empire, uh, and it was very multicultural. Egyptians, Romans, and Greeks... And uh, history tells us that over a quarter of the population was Jewish. So it's a pretty big place. One thing that I found interesting about Alexandria is that the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures had been produced in Alexandria about 150 years before the birth of Christ. And it was famous for its great libraries and was considered the cultural an educational center of the world. Now today we, you know, I mean, it's, there's those kind of places all over. And unfortunately, a lot of the places of higher learning in our country have been corrupted. But that's a whole different story. Here, I'm thinking Apollos grows up there and he has access to the Hebrew scriptures. So he's, um, he's a pretty um, powerful preacher. He preaches with... Um, a lot of authority. So let's read, let, we're going to read till the end of, um, we're going to read four verses, and then we're going to get into chapter 19, but this kind of sets the stage. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, I'm in 18 verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So his, his information or his knowledge is limited to, to a certain extent. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So they noticed something in what the teaching of Apollos, that, you know, and think about it, if he only knew the baptism of John, there's um, the other half of the story, the gospel is left out, right? So it says, um, okay, so they, they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he, Apollos, desired to cross to Achaia, that's going to Corinth, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, and when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. I like that word at the end in verse 28, vigorously. You know, you can draw all kinds of you know, pictures in your mind about that. You know, vigorously, like strenuously, like, you know, I mean, he's on fire for the Lord. And he's, uh, he's got all the information now. So he, they're, um, they're giving him some letters, a letter really of recommendation to take with him to Corinth, saying that, hey, this guy uh, knows what he's talking about. God's called him, you know, give him the opportunity to share, right? So he's... Um, He's going now, he's on his way to Corinth. All right, I mentioned about vigorously. I, you know, here's, um, I, I like when I, 
I have this little uh, online dictionary, and then it gives you all, all these kind of synonyms that go with it. So I wrote them down. I might as well tell you some of them, right? I said strenuously, forcefully, aggressively. He shared, um, he refuted with the Jews publicly, you know, it's um, with eagerness, enthusiastically. I mean, you probably could see the excitement was all over his face, how excited he was about just sharing the gospel. And um, that's, that's, a, that's a, um, a quality that, that we should really, really want to incorporate into our lives. To, when we should talk about the Lord, our face should light up. I mean, is there anything else that the world really needs to hear? You know, and if you're, you're like, well, you know, Jesus died, you know, on the cross. You know, I mean, there should be some excitement. We're giving them the news that transformed this world, right? I mean, it set people free from the power of sin and death. So, yeah, so I like that. I, I, you know, I like that. You know, he's excited. Um, you know, one of the little phrases for it was that um, he shared, he refuted with the Jews to the best of his, his abilities. Everything that he had, he put into it. Everything that he had. That's... That's, got, that's us, right? That's us. Put everything you have into sharing the gospel. When you get an opportunity to share the love of Christ with somebody, give it everything you have. He gave everything he had. We should give everything we have for that. And one thing that before um, we move on, and I, I don't know if I mentioned this the last time I spoke, but I really appreciate Two things at the end of this of 18. That Aquila and Priscilla loved Apollos enough and respected uh, the word of God enough to, when he was done speaking, to pull him aside and say, look, bro, um, you know, that was great, but some things have changed, some things have happened since then that for some reason you're like totally unaware of. And I'm sure that they just expounded, gave him the rest of the gospel. Right? Gave him the rest of the gospel. Hey, you know, John, that baptism was for repentance. But Jesus, that Messiah, came and he fulfilled the plan of salvation and gave him the rest of the information. So, one, that they loved him and cared enough not to, I mean, they were, they were very um, respectful and they, they really did it the right way. So if, if I ever say anything from up here that's not right according to the way you think. Talk to me gently about it, all right? <laughs> and I'm sure that they did. I'm sure they did it in love. And you know what? Apollos didn't say, well, what are you talking about? I know what I'm talking about. No, he didn't say that. Oh, well, I wasn't there, and it's not recorded, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume that he agreed with what they were saying because he asked them for a letter of recommendation to go to Corinth, and they gave it to him. So it seemed to me like it was really a, a, a good conversation. A lot was accomplished. And you know what? We need to have a teachable spirit. We need to be willing to say, hey, you know what? I hear what you're saying. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to pray about that. Let's talk about it. Teachable spirit's important. It's important because, you know, we're not, we can't be right all the time. I mean, we'd like to be, but we can't be. So... So teachable spirit. Do you have a teachable spirit? Something to think about. Do you have a teachable spirit? All right, Acts 19. Now, we are not going to get too far into the chapter, but that doesn't really make a difference. We're going to go as far as the Lord allows. Let's read the first 10 verses, and then we'll, we'll break it down a little bit. So keep in mind, now, everything that's happened Aquila and Priscilla meet up with Apollos. God does, some, does a real good thing with them. Uh, Apollos gets, um, gets a little bit more information, which he really needed. Now, he's going off to Corinth to share the word. And Aquila and Priscilla are here at Ephesus. So it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. So... Paul finally arrives in the Ephesus, and finding some disciples, 
He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when they were hardened, they did not believe and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He, Paul, departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So Ephesus is going to become Paul's main base, really, for his operations during his third missionary journey. So it's interesting how he sets up shop in probably one of the most pagan cities in history. In Ephesus, that says you know a lot about about a, a man when you know God calls you to a place like that and you go right into the heart of the city and you start ministering. And you know I was thinking of David Wilkerson. How you know here's a guy from I, I you know I'm believing it was like the Midwest or something, and God calls him to New York City to minister to the gangs in New York City. It's, that's, um, it's amazing. And, and, you know, we know, the, we know the whole story of how that ministry, how God really blessed that ministry in New York. And I'm thinking of Paul, you know. I don't know if Ephesus was like New York City, but it was a pagan city. It was, it was really, um, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't, it was, it was a bad place. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say it. So it was, you know, it, and in the middle of it, um, there's a temple to Artemis, or the temple of Diana. And it was right, um, it was centered um, right in Ephesus. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So how, you know, you can get an idea of just how pagan uh, this city was. Uh, the temple, according to the ruins that they found, was huge, 239 feet wide and 418 feet long. It was four times the size of the Pantheon in, uh, in Athens. It's a big place. It was a big place. Um, Ephesus was a commercial center, uh, was the leading city in the province of Asia, and, um, you know, the, the excavations that they found... Um, the ruins reveal, um, you know, just how glorious this place was. And Paul, at Paul's time in the city, as he's there, is um, they're approaching um, its peak, its high point. So Ephesus is up and running, um, and it is, um, you know, it's it's everything that I guess that the world would want is there. Everything the world would want is there. So. Paul arrives back in Ephesus, we're going to see, and he meets these 12 men who profess to be Christians. The Bible says that they're disciples. But whose lives gave, there's something must have, something must have um, stuck out for Paul, for him to ask him these questions. Something must have been awry. Was it, um, was it the Holy Spirit just prompting Paul to ask him these questions? And it's interesting, and we'll look at why he asked them these certain questions. But the first thing that he asked them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? You know, it's an important question because um, the witness of the Spirit 
is the one of the indisp indispensable proofs that a person is truly born again. And another key point is that you receive the Spirit when you believe on Jesus Christ, right? It's that, it's that word E-N, that Greek word E-N, right? It's epi and it's epi, it's, <laughs> it's para in and epi, upon. Sorry, I got it a little mixed up in my head. So we know the Holy Spirit draws us when we're saved. You know, we, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and dwells us. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we saw that at, on Pentecost, right? We saw that on, in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see it here too. So there's a bunch of different things going on here, but I want to just give you a few scriptures to reinforce what I just said. Romans 8, 9 says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So when you're, if you don't have the spirit of God, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you're not saved. Romans 8, 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the last, the last thing I mentioned, that you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe. And there's, I mean, these are just a few verses. All right? you got the, there's, a, there's a ton of verses out there. Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14 tell us that in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So their reply to Paul after he asked him this question is they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now you would think, you know, and there's, um, it's an interesting section of scripture here, and, and it's interesting to, to kind of break it down, and I want to encourage you guys to spend a little more time in this. But, you know, as a disciple of John the Baptist, they, um, they would have known about the Holy Spirit, right? Because he had mentioned that, um, what did he say, that, um, that he baptized with water, but one coming after him was going to baptize with, you know, fire, right? So there was a conversation about it. Um, so is it possible that these men were Apollos' early converts, and therefore they didn't fully understand what Christ had done? So were they disciples of Apollos? I think so. They're, where they had talked about being, you know, the, the, what they knew was the baptism of John. So Paul says in verse 3, and he, Paul, said to them, in a what were you baptized? So why the question, what were you baptized? In the book of Acts, a person's baptismal experience was an indication of his or her spiritual experience. And we're going to see that from the text. But, you know, in the first ten chapters of the book of Acts, it's a, a transition period in the history of the church. From the apostles' ministry to the Jews and then their ministry to the Gentiles. So there's a, a lot of transitioning happening, and a lot of, and every time it seems in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 10, and here in Acts chapter 19, they're, they're similar but not identical as people are being filled with the Holy Spirit, getting saved, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's important to note for us today that God's pattern is given to us in Acts chapter 10, where a sinner hears the word, they believe on Jesus Christ, they immediately receive the Spirit, and then they're baptized. You guys follow that? And of course now, there's um, the baptism in the Holy Spirit that is subsequent at times to salvation, and then sometimes, it, you know, we've seen in Acts chapter 
uh, two in the upper room where it was simultaneously as they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And of course, um, Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles received, were born again and received the Spirit of God, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit as well and spoke in tongues. So, you know, in the book of Acts, it's hard to really nail down um, a real solid, um, really, function of how, um, you know, that, you know, like this is the way it should happen kind of thing because it happened different ways and it's really hard to say, well, this is the right way. No, this is the right way. No, wait a minute. No, this is the right way. So, you know, so hypothetically, these guys... Uh, there's, there's people that could, have, could look at this and say that these men were already saved, but they lacked the fullness of the Spirit in their lives. So Paul explained how to be baptized in the Spirit, and this led to their new victory and their new life in Christ. But I really believe the reality is this, because this is what the record says, what we're reading, that Paul sensed that these men did not have the witness of the Spirit in their lives, and therefore they weren't converted. I don't believe these guys were converted. He, and he certainly wouldn't have discussed the fullness of the Spirit with people that were unsaved. How would they even, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. How would they even know? So these 12 men had been baptized in the baptism of John, um, you know, but there was something missing, and the Lord showed that showed that to Paul. And something that I kind of keep thinking in the back of your mind is that God is doing this for, obviously, for a reason. For a reason. Paul is, is coming into Ephesus, this pagan city, and he's going he's gonna to make a difference, but there has to be some, there has to be some, something established. Paul has to establish himself uh, in the presence of these people, that, to let them know that the Lord is with them, that you know that He's, you know He's there in God's stead, that God is working through Him. So, let's read a little further, and I'll explain it a little bit more. In uh, verses four and five, then Paul said, "John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on Him." who would come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul explained to them that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, looking forward to the coming of the promised Messiah. While the baptism that we were baptized in, right, Christian baptism, is a baptism that looks back to the finished work of the cross and, God, and Jesus' victory and his resurrection. So John the Bapt, John's baptism was on the other side of Calvary and Pentecost. It was, the correct, it was correct for its day, but its day has ended, right? It's ended at the day of Pentecost. So keep in mind that John... John the Baptist was a prophet who ministered under the old dispensation. So the old covenant uh, was ended not by John at the Jordan, but by Jesus Christ at Calvary. So in a, in a very real sense, these 12 men were like Old Testament believers who were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And certainly, um, it doesn't say it in the text, but you would um, you, you would think that as Paul Paul really explained to these these men the gospel, right? Because in verse it says in verse well we just read verse um, four and five. It says in verse five when they heard this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So. Luke doesn't give us the whole conversation. I'm sure Paul gave them the gospel. They accepted the gospel, and, it, and they were saved, and he baptized them. And then it says in verses 6 and 7, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now these men 
were about 12 in number. So going back to what I said about Paul establishing himself in Ephesus, you know, the question is, why was it necessary for Paul to lay hands on these men before they received the Holy Spirit? Now, looking from uh, just a just to kind of throw a little wrench in the works, doesn't this contradict the experience of Peter in Acts 10? When the Gentiles got saved, he didn't lay hands on them. In fact, he was still speaking the word of God, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they began to speak in tongues, right? They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So why did Paul have to lay his hands on these men? And why, when you think about it in Acts chapter 8, why did Peter have to lay his hands on those guys after they were baptized to receive the Holy Spirit. Here's um, the answer that I think, and obviously there's no contradictions uh, in the word of God. You know, these men, these 12 men, I really believe are going to be part of the nucleus of the work that God's going to do in Ephesus. You know, Paul bumps into these guys when he walks into town, and this happens. Right, So Paul, um, Paul now is going to, well, God is going to establish Paul um, as a man of uh, authority in Ephesus, but not um, any one of those deities that they all worship. No, Paul is a man that has been sent by God. And God is using this, this particular situation uh, as one of them, to start to um, affirm that God is working through Paul's life, that, that he is there, that he, his, his presence there is, um, is ordained by God. God has sent him. And God is going to do some really cool things through Paul's life to really offset the junk that's going around. There's going to be, um, it's going to be, um, you know, just the authenticity of God's power, um, just the power of, you know, God, un, you know, just unleashed through, through the church, through people, through Paul. You know, so here he is. Paul um, lays hands on these guys, prays for them, prays for them, and, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? And, and now people are seeing this. People are seeing this. Just like Peter and John, like I said in Acts chapter 8, with the believing Samaritans, you know, they represented... They represented the church at Jerusalem, Paul, Peter, and John. And when they laid hands on the Samaritans, what were they saying? They were saying, hey, look, this is connected to this. You know, this is good. This is, this is the Lord. And this is what's happening in Ephesus with Paul. God is establishing Paul as his man of God in this city. You know, and think about it. Right now, I, I'm going to... This is just me. You know, right now, Paul is outside of these 11 guys. He's maybe outside of Aquila, Priscilla. I don't know how many people have been saved before Paul gets there. But, man, he's, um, he's in this, not a lot of people, just trusting God. Just trusting God. And, and it's just amazing to see that. Don't ever feel like, you're outnumbered or insecure about any, whenever God puts you in a position to share the gospel. Because you and God is better than you and a, a million other people. You and God, you, I mean, you, you're the majority. You're the ruling class in that situation, the ruling power. And I just want you to see that, that Paul is, is, just trying to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He's not trying to get ahead of God. He's not trying to fall behind. He's just trying to keep in step with what God's doing. God tells him, hey, lay your hands on these guys and pray for them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. So, and that's not the norm, right? You, you know, these guys, um, when the norm is we get, we, the Holy Spirit draws us, we get saved, right? We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We get baptized. And somewhere 
from when we get saved and we get baptized and we live out our walk with the Lord, um, you know, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's, um, let's read on. Well, let's, yeah, let's read on. Let's read a few more verses and then we'll call it a night, saints. Verses 8 through 12. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly. Obviously, this is Paul. Spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened, see, they had, they had heart disease back then. They called it, that, you know, it's different than today. Their hearts got hard. All right. It wasn't that funny, I know. All right. So some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them and withdrew the disciples. So picture him saying, hey, come on, you guys, we're out of here. Um, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the disease left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Hmm, boy, it's pretty interesting. Paul goes into the synagogue for three months. I think that's a fair amount of time to try to convince, you know, these folks about uh, the gospel. So the Lord must have just put it on Paul's hearts and said, hey, look, Take these guys that are serious and go check out Tyrannus. They, you know, they don't use the school. Uh, I, you know, if you're familiar with Europe, they usually take the afternoons and kind of chill for a few hours in a day. I mean, when we were in Italy on a missions trip, they, they did it. Everything kind of shuts down. So it doesn't really say, but I'm thinking somehow Paul worked out a deal to go to the school and use part of the school, uh, you know, during that off time. And now, he, you know, he's focusing more on, now he's really discipling these, these believers. And um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but a lot of good things are going to happen uh, because of this. And when you think about the result that he, pre that this, I want to I just read it the way it, read it the way it says. Verse 10, and this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, it doesn't say that they were um, converted, but they heard the word. You know, so all of Asia heard the word of God over, the, over this time span. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Now, there's two, there's two things that made this possible. And we'll, we'll close with this. Two things. The witness of the believers as they went from place to place. Because, you know, these folks that were with Paul and coming to these, the school and learning, they didn't, they didn't, apparently didn't stay there the whole two years. So they were getting discipled and they're, they're going out into Asia. They're going out into Asia. So the witness of the believers as they went from place to place um, really was uh, the cause of an effective ministry. And once again, God is, people are getting saved, and God is, God's moving people. God is moving people. God is taking people from one place and putting them to another place for a specific reason, to share the gospel, to share the gospel. So think about this. From Ephesus, other churches were born in Asia Minor. So there's the church in Colossae, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. You know, all of these churches were planted from the people that left the school. Theoretically, all right? There's a very good possibility of that. And notice the sequence of events. Paul 
Paul tries to, to minister in the, in the synagogues. It doesn't work. After three months, he pulls these disciples out of the synagogue with him. And they, he starts a, a, the school up um, for the study of the scriptures. And during the two years Paul conducted these classes, all who dwelt in Asia heard the gospel. So these people are all, they're just, they're just going out. They're going out. You know, supernaturally, supernaturally natural, if that's the way you say it. But this is just a natural um, effect, a natural result of when people get saved, are encouraged in the word of God, hear the word of God, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start hearing from God. And they start, that desire is just planted in their heart to serve God in one way or another. And I mean, you, you guys are a testament of it. Because that's what you are doing. That's you've experienced this. You've experienced this. The second factor, and we'll stop with this, um, that resulted in the whole province of Asia hearing the word, was that God brought special or unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. The second effective thing. So there's different words and well, different words for uh, the in the Greek, which our Bible translates miracles. Here the word for miracle is dunamis. From obviously you guys know we get that word dynamite. Okay, and, and the when Jesus talked about tarrying in Jerusalem until you're filled with power from on high, that dunamis. So Ephesus, think about this, was a great religious center, possibly even more than Athens or any other place. We mentioned about the Temple of Diana where Worship was connected to, you know, to, to satanic worship. Um, think about it. And in order uh, to meet that kind of opposition, you know, God granted special power, obviously, to Paul through the Holy Spirit, doing these miracles. And, you know, I know it talked about, um, it, you know, it talked about, you know, the little cloth, the you know, that they passed out the handkerchiefs. I mean, Paul wiped the sweat with those. You know, I mean, so, and, and you know, I, we, I see his stuff online every once in a while. Write to so-and-so and they'll send you a hanky, you know, a special hanky. You know what, this was just all, just the power of God, you know, working in, you know, a perverted, demonic city. He just wanted... You know, he wanted to get people's attention, and he did miracles through Paul. You know, Paul didn't conjure this stuff up. You know, Paul was just walking in the light that God was providing and being obedient to what God had called him to do. And God was honoring that with signs and wonders. And it wasn't to glorify Paul. It was to glorify God. It was to draw people to him. It was to get their attention. And that's what miracles are all about, you know, if, there, if people got saved by miracles, um, everybody, you know, I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of miracles have happened. People have seen a lot of miracles and aren't saved, right? Miracles must be tied to the message of God's word, for sure. All right, so you know what? We're going to stop here because there's, there's more tied to this, but uh, the next time, um, the, next first of the, the next first Sunday of the month, we'll, um, we'll pick up here and try to finish off the chapter. But read ahead. And I just want to leave you with a thought. God is, is putting people in places to get his will accomplished, to get things, you know, his word out. And, you know, that's, that's us. And I hope you guys really believe that, right, to really the core of who you are. That God, God, I mean, it, you know, God saved us. I mean, we're going, we're heaven bound, man. We're, we're, that, that part's, it's a done deal. But before we, before that happens, before we get there, he wants to use us. And God will move people in places, move you to places and bring you to people. If you're willing just to be faithful to just do what he tells you to do when you get there. You know, be faithful in that situation, in that opportunity that you have. And I hope you guys are seeing that in the book of Acts. I mean, this is just life.
this is what life looks like serving God. This is what life looks like when you ask God, what can I do? Send me, God. I'll go, I'll do whatever. And, and really mean it. I mean, God, we, we just, we're seeing it. God moved. Apollos here, Aquila and Priscilla there, Paul here. I mean, he's got people going all over the place, but, you know, people are getting saved and ministry is happening. Don't ever underestimate what God wants to do through your life and with your life. You know, hey, you know what? I worked for the county a long time, but that's where God put me, and that's where, that's where I grew. I mean, I learned an awful lot about me and what God wanted to do with me. And believe me, I, well, I didn't bat 100, 100%. There were some times I was in, you know, uh, the low 30%. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, you guys know exactly what I'm saying. That work is, uh, sometimes it's the proving ground of who we are. And God will use our employment uh, situations that we're in to grow us. So, I mean, I guess I said all of that to say that, you know, just let go and let God do what he wants to do in your life because you're going to really be blessed and people's lives are going to be changed. All right, so keep that in mind as you finish out the chapter and the rest of the book. And um, I'm going to be quiet now and pray. Lord, thank you so much for tonight. And Lord, um, Lord, I just get excited thinking about what you accomplished through the first century church and just the impact that it had. And Lord, um, it, it was needed then for sure with all of the satanic worship and all of the idolatry and, well, God, everything that's happening today. God, we need, the church needs to, to take up, uh, to, to get, just get it together and get back, um, get back into the fight. And I, I mean that in, a, Lord, you know my heart. I, I mean that in a, in a, in a good way, the, the fight for the gospel, to get, get the word out for people to get saved, Lord. Um, use us, God, challenge us, stretch us. I pray that as we continue to go through the book of Acts, that we would um, just be enamored by um, your faithfulness and just the dedication that the church had to serve you, Lord. So thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, uh, thank you for raising up the church, Lord, and just helping us to be a, a louder voice um, in this world, Lord. Uh, so we thank you for that. Get us home safely, Lord, and should you tarry, uh, Lord, we pray for just an awesome day in you tomorrow. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.